Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hello and welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks and I'm joined by the Patrick Bamford in the Championship to my Patrick Bamford in the Premier League. It's Justin Peach. Good afternoon. Justin, how's it going? It is good. It is good. Spent the whole weekend running around the Welsh countryside and obviously Bamford's scoring points in fantasy football. So, yeah, got to, got to be happy. What a time to be alive. We're joined <laughs> by Ian Robertson from We Are Luton Town. Ian, are you well? Yeah, good. Thank you. Good. Lovely stuff, lovely stuff. And making his second-tier debut, it's Mike Duffy from the Watford podcast, Voices of the Vic. Mike, how's it going? Yeah, very well. Um, even better after yesterday's result, but yeah, I'm sure we'll get stuck into that, eh? <laughs> I bet. Uh, gents, we had the first M1 derby in 14 years, Luton v Watford. The two sets of fans aren't very keen on each other, are they, Mike? No, you could say that. Yeah, the the last time I went to a game, I was eleven years old. But you could definitely tell that the uh, both sets of fans weren't keen on each other. So, <laughs> yeah, and the thing is, you haven't played each other in so long. So, um, Ian, has it dampened the rivalry, or if anything, has it made it even more heated? Um, I don't think it's it either. I think it's it's just picked up where it where it where it got lost. Really, um, the build whole build up to the game was pretty ferocious from both sets of fans. Really, it's just a shame it didn't transpire onto the pitch when we played the game. But I think from both sets of fans, we're both quite passionate. We both uh, dislike each other with the same amount. I don't think it's it's gone down any any iota really. Yeah, we'll we'll do our best to try and keep you two apart throughout the the duration of this episode. And it's a bit disappointing to know that the fans weren't weren't there, were they? Do you think the derby was affected by the lack of fans at Vicarage Road, Mike? Definitely. Look, uh, I think Ian's just picked up on it there. You know, we we spoke a little bit before recording. You know, derby games are usually sort of associate crunching tackles red cards you know a bit of bit of needle from both sets of players but it, it just wasn't there this weekend and I think the lack of fans is definitely something that contributes to that but, you know if the, the fans are there uh, I, I firmly believe we probably would have had more of a game on our hands had there been fans because you know Luton would have been really up for it with the going into the game with the run they've been on but yeah the lack of fans that, that was the first thing that you, you noticed straight away I know it sounds obvious but in terms of how the game panned out and the maybe lack of aggression um, it, it definitely sort of ruins the, the first M1 derby in 14 years Mm. Ian, is that something you agree with? Yeah, wholeheartedly. Um, it just lacks that little bit of space. I mean, players from both sets of, of teams, they were in their early teens when last time we played most of them, some even younger. So, you know, some were like four or five years old. They don't, they don't really know about the derby as much as what the supporters do. Mm. And I think that little bit of aggression that we, we got in right at the end of the match we needed that throughout, really. We needed a crunching tackle right at the start um, to really spice things up. And it's just so drab. Um, even worse that we lost, but it was just so quiet. And just, there wasn't that passion um, yeah. that you would normally see. So, yeah, yeah. it was disappointing from that aspect. Well, let's talk about the game because it finished 1-0. Jao Pedro, Mike, for a 19-year-old, he looks a real player, doesn't he? Yeah, we've we've actually got a player, well, a striker on our hands that actually moves. You know, I, I, <laughs> I, I, I'm, do you know what the our fans are terrible at the moment recently for for slagging off Troy Deeney, considering what he's done for the club. But 
it is evident to see that Troy's not the most mobile of strikers. Now, whether it's to do with the type of striker he is, you know, he's 32 now, so he's not getting any younger. But to have a player that, you know, he can put himself about, he's put five kilograms on over lockdown of, of, of muscle. Um, I thought I'd mention that because I probably put more than that, but that's not muscle. But um, <laughs> yeah, um, he's, you know, he, you can tell that he's been working hard on his game. Um, and yeah, it's just nice to have a striker that actually moves and puts himself about. And, you know, that, that first goal is going to be massive to him. You know, Ian pointed out um, not, not long ago that most of these players were, you know, young lads when this derby was last played. Jao Pedro was four years old the last time we played Luton. <laughs> Jesus. So, yeah. But that, that goal, and it was his birthday yesterday as well. So, he would have done his confidence a world of goods. And I, I think that's hopefully, touch words, the first of many. Well, happy birthday, Jao Pedro. Uh, <laughs> Justin, this is going to maybe sound a bit biased towards Luton, but I promise I'm not. Uh, but when you consider the amount of money that's been put into both sides, it's surprising that there wasn't a big gulf in class and Watford edged it in this game, really, didn't they? It probably tells you where both sides are. Luton are sort of riding crest of a wave, really good form at the moment. The first defeat in, I don't know how many games for Luton. And obviously Watford, a little bit of a transition, obviously moving over to um, Ivic's style of play. It's it's going to take a bit of time to bed in, obviously, with players coming back as well. Perhaps there isn't too many, there isn't too much of a gap there between the two sides. But as, as both... Uh, both the guys have mentioned, if there was fans in the ground, I think it'd have been a completely different game. Mm. As a Watford fan, Mike, do you have respect for the job that Nathan Jones is doing at Luton? No. <laughs> no, um, no, listen. I, I, I have to sort of take my Watford tinted glasses off a minute, and yeah, you know, he, it was obvious when when he left. You know, they they were struggling, and he's come back in, and he, he kept them up. So something's going right. He didn't quite go to plan for him at Stoke, but I think Stoke's a bit of a poison chalice, to be honest. I think it's more more than just, you know, the, the, the players. I think that might be a bigger problem behind the scenes. But, yeah, if, if you had a gun to my head and I had to answer that question, he, he's done very well on, with, with the players that he's got and the resources that I've got. I, 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 you know, yeah. <laughs> Is that nice to hear, Ian? Um, well, it's, you can't really avoid it. He has done a really good job with our budget. Um, with the budget that we have, we shouldn't be um, beating teams like Derby. Um, we shouldn't really. Um, we've got a fantastic team. Uh, they do work well as a team, but he's made them players them players. Um, so, yeah, I mean, he gets a lot of respect from all callers, the football community, I guess. Um, he's, he's done a, another good job coming back. Um, so, yeah, yeah, he's, he's a good manager. Yeah, that, that's what we were saying on the podcast last week, wasn't it, Justin, that um, he, it is very much a, a, a group of players who have something to prove, don't they? And they all fit the system very well. It kind of reminds me a bit of Chris Wilder at Sheffield United. I know that's a lot of praise, but <laughs> it's it's taking some players who aren't big names and really getting the most out of them. And Nathan Jones has shown he's really good at that, isn't he? Definitely. And I think the Chris Wilder um, reference is actually you know, quite out because some things just work together. <clears throat> so Chris Wilder and Sheffield United work together really well. Uh, and obviously Nathan Jones and Luton Town work together really well. It's some things just fit and that's a good fit for both Nathan Jones and, and, and Luton. Obviously he's getting the best out of the players. And, and no disrespect to Luton, a, a fairly, you know, some of them are fairly average. You're looking at Bradley at centre half. He's been so much better since Nathan Jones has come in compared to when he was at, uh, under Graham Jones. Um, and that's just the added added extra that Nathan Jones brings is his ability to get the best out of those that group of players. Yeah, definitely. Well, Mike, Watford are still unbeaten so far this season. I suppose a lot of Watford's success this campaign is going to depend on who's still at the club in a couple of weeks' time. Yeah, you know, we, we've said amongst the, amongst our fans and on our podcast, we can only really judge your squad once both of the transfer windows are closed. The international ones first, and that's going to be a big bearing on us. You know, we're expecting uh, Pereira to move to Udinese. Uh, we're expecting possibly William Trusticong in from Udinese. Um, you know, we're, we're expecting Luis Suarez to go out on loan to Granada, Kiko Femenia to, um, I believe it's good. Tafai to join up with our loanee Chucho Hernandez. So yeah, the the international one's going to obviously affect us. But I think we we've been linked with a couple of 
players from the English market as well. Dominic Iorfa, um, Ryan Manning, just to name a few. So we we really we cannot sort of judge this squad based on what we've got now. There's been a lot of sort of murmurs from the, the, the Watford sort of Twitter at the moment, whereby we're not happy. Some of the fans, believe it or not, aren't happy with the squad that we've got. Um, you know, it, it's not been the most exciting football to watch. I think we've scored two in three games and, you know, we, we've not known for our scoring exploits, but I think they have to realise we can only judge this squad once that transfer window's closed. And I think, we can only start to get players in when we've off- offloaded a few players. Mm. It'll be interesting to see if Ismail Astar uh, stays at the club, but it'll be yeah. massive shithousery if the only game <laughs> he plays this, this season is against Luton. Um, you told me at the start of the season, Ian, that you'll be happy with just staying up. Do you think you can go on to bigger and better things this season after a fairly healthy start, or would you take 21st now? Uh, oof, good question would I take 21st now I think uh, the logical part of me would say I'd take 21st now um, however since we last talked you know negating the results we've actually had we've actually played some very good football um, and the stats have been very good I've been really surprised with how calm and composed we have been on the ball at the back um, apart from yesterday we've been very front footed uh, very attacking um, Norton Davis and Bree have been fantastic at swing backs. We replaced who we lost in Justin and Stacey. Um, I think we can do better than that. I think, you know, if we carry on playing the way we are, we'll pick up decent results. We'll pick up some really good, decent results. I think I didn't, I didn't really expect us to be as front footed, as confident as we have been this season. Um, but if we continue in that vein of form, there's no reason we can do a lot better than 21st. But it's all whether, whether we can keep the players fit, can we keep on this wave and, and who we bring in before the transfer deadline finishes as well. Lovely stuff. Well, chaps, we'll see you a bit later on in the show. We'll go around the grounds now and we'll kick things off with the game from Friday night where Huddersfield beat Forest 1-0, piling the pressure on Sabli Marucci. Uh, we're joined now by Rich Ferraro from the Forest Ramble podcast. Rich, Forest were fairly awful here, weren't they? There's that really old-fashioned saying, if you can't make a silk purse out of a sow's ear. And um, the trouble is, is that um, signing loads of new players isn't going to make that much difference to Forrest unless there is a change in style. Now, Sabri Lamushi has made noises that he wants to see Forrest playing in a more... uh, progressive way but there was no sign of that on friday night um now it could well be that he's being that you know as many conservative managers do saying well let's get the defensive side right first of all um uh, and time you know we wait and see but at the same time is that when you've got a player like harry arter well let him do his thing of running through the midfield when you've got luke freeman let him get on the ball and he didn't do that enough so yeah it was it was disappointing not necessarily in terms of the personnel but in terms of the lack of style and the lack of progressive play yeah, I was particularly interested in the defence because it was basically a back line made up of completely new signings. Um, and it was quite coincidental because it looked like they've never played with each other before. <laughs> well, yeah, it's funny you should say that, isn't it? Um, in fairness, Joe Worrell has got an injury, so is going to be out for a few weeks. Um, and we've been crying out for a player like Scott McKenna, somebody who will hopefully be a little bit more nasty and a bit more physical and a bit more commanding. Um, obviously, that wasn't necessarily shown up when Fraser Campbell had the freedom of the box to be able to uh, volley in. Um, Lower Cambeso is an interesting one. Obviously, we've signed him from Paris Saint-Germain, ostensibly as one for the future, but uh, we have to wait and see what happens with him. Um but it, he would be the obvious person to play in place of Worrell. Um, as for the fullbacks, well, you know, you mentioned Cyrus Christie last week. It is, you know, trying to fill a big hole by replacing Matty Cash with Cyrus Christie. Rich, I remember when we were talking a couple of weeks ago and you said you didn't think it was a good idea to sack Lamushi. What's your stance on that, on that now after uh, this result and the way things are going in general? Well, the consensus is he seems like a nice guy, but he's doing his utmost to do himself out of a job, isn't he? All he needs to do is for the fans to be happy. I was discussing with one of the Huddersfield podcasts um, the other day. 
All that fans really want is for a team to look like they're trying and to try and play some progressive style of football. And that's more important at Forest than anywhere else because we have got this passing tradition of using young players coming through our academy. And at the moment, it looks as though none of that is happening. And until we start seeing some attempt to try and and have a go at the opposition, then he's going to be on very thin ice. If you had to guess how many games he's got left, how many would you say? Well, a lot of fans want him gone now. A lot of fans want to give him the Bristol City match next week so that we can use the international break to regroup. Uh, Realistically, given the amount that the uh, club hierarchy have invested in Lamushi's staff and squad, maybe the next international break in November, um, which would give a new gaffer time to come in and uh, assess the squad and then decide what he wants to do in January, if possible. But... Even if there is a new gaffer, I mean, if I was the club management, I'd be saying, look, if you're going to be any good as a manager, you've got to make the best of what is actually a really, really, really strong championship squad in terms of experience. We've got some flair in there. We've got some hard workers. Uh, we maybe lack a bit of pace, but it really depends. Lamushi needs to make the most of it, but any other manager would need to as well. Cheers, Rich. That's Rich from the Forest Ramble podcast. Justin, Sabio Lamushi, would you sack him? That's a good question. It's a really good question because on one hand you think, we're three games, in, three games into the season. You don't sack a manager three games into a season. But then you look back and he's he's not winning 10 games. It all started back when Chris Martin equalised for Derby in the 97th minute. Um, and it's been terrible since then. It's not been great for Forest under Lamushi, attacking-wise. He doesn't play good football, but he plays... Winning football, but even that sort of football, it's not it's non-existent at the moment. So there's argument for it, definitely. Mm. If the results weren't going their way, but the performances were good, then I could kind of understand it and have a bit more sympathy with him. Mm-hmm. But this was such a bad performance. And as me and Rich were just saying, the defending was laughable at times in this game. Uh, but for Huddersfield, it's their first win of the season. And I don't want to ruin their thunder, but I thought it was more down to how bad Forest were than Huddersfield being good. Would you agree? Potentially, but, you know, Huddersfield, have, they've got to put points on the board. They've got to get the season going. And I think this might be a bit of a turning point performance-wise anyway. They created a lot more chances than they have done in the previous two games. And, you know, players that haven't been a danger have been a danger. Josh Caroma and Harry Toffo linked up so well throughout that game. You know, Josh Caroma, yeah, I think he only completed one dribble, but he still had six shots on target. He's still a danger. Um, and that's, that's what I mean. His, his link-up play with Toffolo was a real highlight for Huddersfield. And if they can get more out of that team and get a few more goals out of the likes of Campbell and you're not having to rely on Carlin Grant, they will be fine this season. Six shots on target for Caroma. Is that what you just said? Yeah. That's a re- <laughs> that is an enormous amount. Those are some unbelievable stats from Caroma. Uh, but I thought Alex Pritchard had his best mm-hmm. game in a while in a Huddersfield shirt. Uh, 21-year-old Romani Critchlow made his first ever league start, and I thought he had a really good game as well. Um, it was just a very solid performance. I think a better team would have scored a truckload of goals because Forrest was so bad, but it might be a turning point for Huddersfield, as you say, and we'll have to see if they uh, can build upon this after uh, signing quite a few players as well, haven't they? And I imagine they'll still be quite busy in the uh, last week or so That's an of the transfer window. Yeah. <laughs> uh, another team who's been pretty bad at the moment as well is Forest Neighbours, Derby, who were battered 4-0 by Blackburn. Joining us now from the Second Tier podcast is Justin Peach. Justin, hello. That really throws me off when you do that. Because I'm waiting for someone to, to chime in and I was like, oh, no, it's me. <laughs> Where do you start with unravelling this performance? Um, let's start with the, the disorganisation and confusion Derby defenders have every time somebody attacks, every time an opposition player attacks, because they just look completely starstruck at any given point when there is an attack. And I'm trying not to, I'm trying not to get my fan head on and go like full gammon. I, I really mm. don't because it's just I, I don't, I don't like to approach things like that. But when you lose four 0 at home, you've scored one goal all season, you've conceded is it eight goals. In all competitions, it's not good. It really isn't good. And the performances aren't there. You said Huddersfield and, and, and Forest, for example, if they're getting performances in, that's fine. Results don't matter. But Derby have been terrible. They really have. They really have. And the thing is, 4-0 in this game, it could have been more had it not been yes. for David Marshall. Uh, Derby has 62% possession as well. How can you have so much of the ball and get torn apart like that? It doesn't make sense to me. 
Well, I, I, I've, I've put this in my stats. They, they managed 200 more touches of the ball than Blackburn. Uh, but my, my, I know we come on to Marriott quite a lot, but he had just eight of those touches. I know he came off, came off at half-time, but it just tells you how desperate Derby are for a link-up player at the top. I think that will help, but the way they get turned over for a counter-attack is so easily is frightening. I've not seen... Mm. Oh, this is a statement. I've not seen defending this bad probably since the, the season Derby were in... The Premier League. It mm. really is amateur. It's scary as well. But there's still time to turn it around. Yeah, the thing is, it's not looking good. Either end of the pitch, is it? Going forwards, they look harmless. And then defensively, they look so exposed constantly throughout all the games we've seen so far. Uh, I particularly enjoyed seeing a Forest fan who tweeted a picture of the league table and said, mind the gap with Forest and Derby 21st and 22nd. <laughs> it, it's been ongoing through the season. <laughs> <laughs> uh, would you say there's pressure on Philip Cocu? Obviously, the Derby project is long-term, isn't it? But mm. the start is very alarming, isn't it? Well, I've I've been a, a massive supporter of Cocu, uh, uh, as you well know. I've, I've sung his praises throughout this last season he's been in charge for a year but when your team's turning out performances like that you expect so much more especially as I say after a year year plus in charge perhaps the players need time to bed in you know Mike Tewerick looked lost perhaps he needs time to settle in I, I'd certainly be asking questions of Koku you can't be questioning desire and attitude of players after three games that's that's a big that's a big worry as well for me I can't take anything away from Blackburn, though, can we? Because they no, were superb no, no. again. They've won nine nil this week, Justin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's you know th- this is the worst. This was the worst game for Derby because of how ruthless Blackburn were last week against Wickham. They carried it over, and that's the sort of consistency they missed last season. Um, and as I say, the the front three is for me as exciting as BMW was last season for Brentford. I'm, I'm really am liking. That's um, a big statement. I know it is. I know it is. But I'm really am liking Brereton and Armstrong because there's there's not a natural number nine there, and the way they interchange, no wonder Derby defenders look so confused. And then you've got you've got the, the likes of Dolan coming in as well. His feet. I, I was watching highlights before. His feet confuse me. I don't know what <laughs> defenders are going to be like. Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, it, it's interesting though, isn't it? Because obviously Dolan and Armstrong got, both got on the score sheet again and they looked really good. They were causing chaos in the Derby defence. But Brereton, as you mentioned, he's had a tough couple of years and it's not really worked out for him, the move to Blackburn. Mm-hmm. But he's looked quite good in the uh, last couple of games. So hopefully he keeps progressing. I'm getting really excited about this Blackburn team mm-hmm. though, Justin, because it's full of exciting young talent and they've they're just looking really, really good. I mean, the last two games have been a bit kind in the way that they're against Wickham, who really don't look very good, and Derby, who are very out of form. But they've smashed them both to bits. And as you were saying, they've both been ruthless, haven't they? Mm-hmm. The thing is, they've still got the best player to come back in Bradley Dak. And they've also got Daniel Ayala to come into the side. So we're expecting them to be challenging for the playoffs this season. And they could be comfortably in there come the end of the season because they've had a cracking start and if they keep uh, getting better and better then it's going to take some mighty efforts to try and stop them the only real problem I've got with them is Tyrese Dolan and his first name having a lack of vowels it's very confusing (laughs) you'd have thought his name his first name spelt T-Y-R-Y-S and you'd have thought there'd be at least a D in there do you know what I mean well, it's it's a good it's a good argument but you can't Mm. you can't bring a man down just because his lack of vowels in his name He's a very talented player. I'll give him that. Let's head to Adams Park, where Wickham met Swansea. It finished 2-0 to Steve Cooper's boys. Here's Tom Morgan from Total Swans TV. It was a fairly comfortable victory in the end, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a fairly comfortable... Uh, we made a bit more hard work of it in the second half, but I think the uh, the efforts and the performance of the first half really sort of killed the game off. So it was uh, very pleasing to see that we could... Um, you know, overcome and beat one of the you know the winnable teams in this uh, in this division. Yeah, the Swans have started the season unbeaten. How have they looked in those first few games? Yeah, a brilliant start to the season. Uh, three games undefeated, yet to concede a goal. Uh, Performance-wise, defensively, we've looked really solid. Uh, no, no, no team uh, at the moment has caused us any real trouble. Woodman with the three clean sheets. Uh, but going forward, you know, we scored the three goals in the three games, but it was a nil-nil result last week to Birmingham. Uh, and we're just lacking a number nine uh, and our goal scorer. So hopefully we can get somebody over the line before deadline. 
Yeah, you mentioned the defence, the back line of Gurhi, Roden and Cabango is looking very solid. But the weird thing is, they're just a bunch of young lads, aren't they? Yeah, as you say, they are very young, the three of them. Uh, Joe Roden's 22, the oldest of the three. Uh, ben Cabango and Mark Gaihi, both 20 years old. And they, to be fair, the three of them, they don't have a mass amount of first team and championship experience. Um, you know, Joe Roden probably being the most experienced of the three. But they're all absolutely fantastic. They are solidifying that defence and they're making it very tough for any opposition to try and break through. Um, and it's, it's a very good uh, blessing in disguise that we've been able to get Mark Guyhe on loan from Chelsea once again this season. And Tom, I wanted to ask you about Morgan Gibbs-White because he's someone I was telling everyone to keep an eye on at the start of the season. How's he looked in those first few games? Yeah, again, another youngster coming in on loan uh, from Wolves been a fantastic addition so far to the the team this season uh, started all three games in midfield and he's very good we've been very impressed with him as a fan base I think um, I've certainly been impressed with him over the three games defensively he's making crucial tackles stopping counter-attacks and going forward you know he's making the tackles and then beginning a counter-attack and he's getting on the score sheet and he's looking very very threatening in front of goal so he's been a very pleasing and promising uh, addition to the team and hopefully we can keep hold of him for the remainder of the season and he can push on and uh, add to the goal contributions. Cheers, Tom. That's Tom from Total Swans TV. An unbeaten start to the season for Swansea, Justin. It's really exciting. But then again, they start. They had a similar start last season where they weren't pulling up trees, they were undefeated and it started to tail off. But I'm hoping it doesn't this season, obviously. And But the, you've got to give Steve Cooper credit again because they haven't conceded a goal. They haven't got a natural number nine. This is he's doing he's doing things again that most managers would struggle with. Uh, he's getting a lot out of this Swansea side that still needs more. I, I'm trying to sort of put it into words. It needs a lot more to get to where it is, but he's got it there without having that sort of X factor, if that makes sense. Yeah. It- I just want to go back to the defence because me and Tom are just talking about it, but I can't praise that defence enough. Mm. The Swansea wall of Cabango, <laughs> Gurhi and uh, Roden. It, they're all young players and yeah. they're all playing superbly. They are playing like a back line of veterans. They're so good. Joe Roden in particular is a, he's a Rolls Royce of a defender. I'm such a big fan of him and he's got a big future. A big, big future. Steve Cooper has really got them playing and fair play to them for having such faith in a back line that is so young. Mm. They lose an experienced player, a really good player, Mike van der Horn, and it's like he they're not missing him at all not because they're, so, they're just so solid at the back. But Justin, I don't want to write teams off after three games, but <laughs> Wickham, they really don't look very good. Uh, yeah, I mean... <laughs> You just want to you just want to put your arm around them, don't you, and just go. Oh, yeah, on. I I don't want to be too harsh on them because they are wicked. They haven't had much time to prepare. Mm. They haven't got a truckload of money, but they look. After the first three games, they look a bit out of their depth, don't they? A little bit, yeah. We we are being really kind, but this this is the championship, and I think Gareth Ainsworth will probably learn more about the championship in these first. Well, maybe not. The, well, these last two games, I should say, because he's come up against some two really good teams, but teams that aren't necessarily fancied for automatics, for example. Mm. So it's only going to get harder when he comes up against the teams that you expect to finish in the top six. Mm. Is it possible for a team to concede a million goals? Because when they come up against like a Brentford, for example, if Brentford are in form, it, we could see that happen. But I'm, I'm watching their games at the moment and... They don't ever look like scoring, let alone getting any points. Going forwards, they, they're they not troubling defence, defences at all. No. I mean, there are, there are a couple of teams like that at the moment. You likes of Forest, Derby, uh, I think, think uh, Preston falling into that category as well. Stoke finally got a goal at the weekend. So there are a lot of teams that are falling into that category, but I guess those teams have championship experience and championship quality in their sides to, to prop them up. Wickham don't. So... They have to start finding a way to get around that. You know, I think when you you like you liken them to Yeovil a bit, don't you? When they came up, you know, you, um, young side, uh, not a lot of money, shouldn't shouldn't really be here. <laughs> well, that sounds harsh. Uh, they're quite they're quite fortunate to to, to have got to championship. How they got to championship, um, but Yeovil 
scored a lot of goals. They're terribly terrible defensively, but they scored a lot of goals. And Wickham, as you say, just don't look like getting anywhere near the opposition. They really goal. don't. They really don't, and that's the worrying thing. Uh, Stoke got their first win of the season by beating Preston one nil. Preston were down to ten men after twenty two minutes. Just quickly, do you think that was a red card? <laughs> we, we were discussing it before. I I'm on the fence. I sympathise with the referee because <laughs> I, at first glance it doesn't look like a slip. It looks like a two footed mm-hmm. lunge. Um, but when you see the replay, it's a slip. But then again, you know we've said, oh, why don't we have VAR? But no one wants VAR in the Championship. But that would have overruled that straight away. For Do example. you think? Yeah, hundred percent. I I suppose he was out of control, wasn't he? But he was out of control because he slipped. So I, I think it is harsh. But whether Preston appeal it, appeal it or not, I don't know. Uh, either way, Stoke won one nil. But the real highlight was Stephen Fletcher hitting the bar with a Rabona. Unbelievable scenes. Uh, we're joined now by Ben Valley from the YYY Files. Ben, how did Stoke look here? I must admit, I think we've looked possibly better in other games, definitely to start with anyway. I think that Preston looked to be the better side before they're sending off. A bit controversial, really. Um, at the time, I thought it was just a bit of a coming together on the replay. I guess their player went in with a little bit more of aggression and less control uh, than ours. But, you know, after, after their man got sent off, they had a long way to go and it was a well-worked goal, and we just managed to control the game out up until the last five minutes, um, where we really, really struggled to contain them. But overall, I'm happy to come away from an away game such as that with you know three points, our first three points for the season. Yeah, I want to ask you about young Harry Souter, who made his first Stoke League appearance at the back. Um, he looks a real player, doesn't he? Yeah, it's about time Harry Souter got given a go, to be honest. He's been on loan. Um, at a couple of clubs before this season and I think it's about time he and maybe Nathan Collins as well made the step up to the first team um, Suter's been given that chance first time round for a young lad he's a big boy and that obviously that's really helpful when you're a central defender but he seems to be very clever as well and and for a big guy he's he's got the mobility too and I don't see a reason why he couldn't replace one of the older centre-backs at Stoke. You know, you're looking at Ryan Shawcross, Danny Bart, James Chester, they're all around the age of 30. And Harry Souter being such a young guy, he didn't look out of place at all. And, you know, he got mal in the match for Stoke. And I can't see why he can't break into this team long-term this season, especially with three central defenders in there. Yeah, I noticed Nick Powell didn't start in this game and he's a weird player, isn't he? Because everyone knows he's got a lot of talent, but it's just a case of whether he's going to turn it on or not. To be honest, last season, I thought that Nick Powell could have been the player of the season for Stoke. I know that Sam Klukas and James McLean um, were fantastic last season and were right up there for that award. But, you know, Nick Powell come in as Michael O'Neill come in and he was fantastic pulling all the strings of Stoke. I think he's our best player technically, mentally. Um, This season, okay, he might not have started the best. And I think in in some cases, it's horses for courses with Michael O'Neill. He's chops and changed the team around pretty much every single game for League and Cup. I'm sure a lot of teams have done the same. Um, And, well... If the team's doing well, if the midfielders are doing well, he's rewarded some of the young players like Josh Tymon, uh, Tasha Oakley Booth, Jordan Thompson. So, you know, Powell's got to earn his place at the moment. We've got a stack squad and he's got to perform well. And finally, Ben, it's not been the smoothest of starts for Stoke, um, despite plenty of people, including ourselves, tipping them to be dark horses this season. I presume you're hoping this will be a turning point. I hope so. I hope definitely this is a turning point for the league anyway. And the cup, you know, we've been doing very well. We, we've, we've won our cup games and we're in the um, in the hat for the next round. Well, we know who we're playing, obviously. Um, but in the league, it, it was a bit of a slow start. And I think it's still a bit of a slow start. The performance wasn't great yesterday. Having said that, I think O'Neill is still finding his best team. And we're probably not done in the transfer market like a lot of teams aren't. Um, we've still got some players to ship out definitely Um, and I think he's just learning to trust some of the younger players more and I think once he does that we'll have a team with a very different dynamic to the one that we're going to see at the start of the season I think we're going to end the season in a completely different way to how we started it and I'm really excited for it to be honest I'm really excited to see what he does with this really weird blend of players that 
that Michael O'Neill's got at his disposal. Cheers, Ben. That's Ben from the YYY Files. Right, that brings an end to part one of the show. In part two, we'll talk Bristol City, Bournemouth and Reading. It's a little-known fact that when Justin and I record these shows, nine times out of ten, we're wearing a classic football shirt from years gone by. And where do we get them from? ClassicFootballShirts.co.uk In fact, as I record this, I'm wearing my PSG shirt with Thiago Silva on the back. Alternatively, I could have worn my Juventus shirt, Dortmund shirt, Blackburn shirt. I could go on. We're big fans of classic football shirts here because they offer you classic football shirts at a great price. And it's not just shirts either. Oh no, dear listener. There's also training wear, track suits, shorts, socks, you name it. And I can guarantee they'll have something for your club. So head on over to classicfootballshirts.co.uk or visit them in store in either London or Manchester. Welcome back to part two of the Second Tier podcast. Right, let's go down to Ashton Gate, where Bristol City won 2-0 against Sheffield Wednesday. Goals from Tommy Rope and Jamie Patterson. We're joined now by Jack Dawson from Bristol City podcast, BS3 Talk. Jack, three wins out of three now for Bristol City. Dean Holden's really got them playing, hasn't he? He has. I think 95% of City fans, and myself included, were very sceptical when he got appointed, especially when the likes of Chris Hewton was available. And I would say more of the anger was angled towards the board, especially the CEO, Mark Ashton, rather than Holden himself. As Holden, he's always seemed a great bloke, but appointed from within, within sorry, didn't really seem to fit Steve Lansdowne's quote that he wanted to take the club forward. Obviously, he went on TalkSport, did a big interview about how he wanted to take the club forward. There's appointment, he sees a chance to take the club to the next level. And Holden just wasn't that appointed from within. So that's where... A lot of the fans were disappointed, but I think already he's switched that around completely and now everyone is right behind him. Even yesterday before the game, he was at the, the free lines, which is the almost the fans' pub, if you like. Uh, just drinking with fans, you know, the football's brilliant. He's got everyone on side and yeah, the football's brilliant. So yeah, we're all very optimistic now ahead of the season. Yeah, it's got to be said, Dean Holden does come across as a top bloke. He seems to really be bringing the club together and three wins out of three. He's doing a very good job of that, isn't he? Yeah, for sure. And I think the main thing I've noticed so far is that he's almost learned from Lee Johnson's um, mistakes. Obviously, he was been at the club since 2016. It was Lee Johnson that brought him in. And I think a lot of, I, I said this on the podcast all the time, that Lee Johnson was constantly changing the formation. And one, one minute a player had a bad game, they'd be binned at the team, not be seen for months. You know, they'd be frozen out there, one bad game. And I think that almost got to the players a bit. It seemed to annoy them. Whereas now with Dean Holden, He's got almost a settled side. Lee Johnson will constantly change the formation. You know, it'd be 4-4-2 four, four, one week, three at the back the next week. Whereas now Dean Holland's set on this 3-5-2. He's giving everyone a fair crack of the whip. Even the likes of, I don't know, we've got a stupid amount of midfield players at the minute, but they all seem to be pushing together. Even like so Casey Palmer, who hadn't played much in the last season, was celebrating Dean Holland's appointment. So yeah, he just got everyone pushing in the same direction. Everyone seems to be happy. It's just a very good vibe around the club at the minute. Yeah, I've got to ask you about Jamie Patterson he got on the score sheet here. He has been different gravy, hasn't he, since coming back into the side? He's absolutely brilliant as a player. And I think most City fans have known this for such a long time. The, question, the problem with him is it's consistency. And it's been almost, he'd always have one brilliant game, then about five just poor games. And with the likes of, well, we brought in Casey Palmer, etc. and Sammy Smoddix, it almost seemed to make sense for him to make way and leave out on loan. But since he's been back, I think that loan at Derby... Really, a lot of people are saying it really made him realise how happy he is just in Bristol, even just living in the city. And it's, he's just been brilliant. He he almost he works so hard defensively. He's brilliant on the ball. He creates chances. And now he's scoring goals. He is the perfect championship midfielder, especially in this 3-5-2. We're almost playing one holding midfielder and two almost eights. So as one of the eights, he's just the perfect player. He creates chances. He scores goals. I think he's got five and nine under Dean Holden now. But yeah, we do have a stupid amount of midfielders that have got seven or eight. But Patterson's the first in the team shoot at the minute. And Jack, I presume the aim at the start of the season was to finish in the playoffs. But after this good start, are you thinking that automatic promotion might be a possibility? I really don't want to say that. I really don't want to say that. I was thinking going to the game today, I was thinking it doesn't matter if we're top of the league. But now we're actually top of the league, I'm buzzing. So yeah, I think with City, the thing is, you never know. I know it's very much a Lee Johnson tendency to start the season like a house on fire and then fall apart. Whether Dean Holden, it'll be a same as Dean Holden, I don't know. I think we've definitely got the squad for it. 
But I think there's always that renovation that whilst Dean Holden is ticking all the right boxes so far, who knows what kind of manager he is once we do end up in a losing run. And obviously that they've been quite common with this squad of players. So I don't want to say go all out and say we'll get top two or whatever, but I think we're definitely strong candidates for the top six. I think the we the league as a whole is looking a bit weaker than last year. So I think we'd I think we're definitely strong top six candidates, but top two, I think we'll have to give it a while yet and see. Cheers, Jack. That's Jack from BS3 Talk. Justin, another solid win for Bristol City and your boy Pato at the centre of it once again. Yeah, buzzing for him, and I think you know it's, it's another it's another win, another clean sheet, another Martin assist, and another passing goal. What what else is what can go wrong for Bristol City at the moment? It's it's certainly a really good start to the season for them. Mm. It's unbelievable, isn't it, how Jamie Patterson has turned around his career? Because as I was just saying to Jack, it was about a year ago where he was pretty much on the scrap heap at Bristol City, wasn't he? Lee Johnson didn't really fancy him anymore. But then since he came back from his loan at Derby, he's contributed to 11 goals in 23 games since January, which is sensational, really. I do wonder, though, if um, in true Bristol City fashion, this good run of form is going to uh, be followed up by a run of 10 games without a win. Yeah, I was thinking the exact same thing. It's, It's one of them things that you just, you can't, you can't suck yourself in in case of the heartbreak, and I imagine every single Bristol City fan is on that is is on that same boat. But you know, it's a really good start to the season, and I think Dean Holden will be really pleased because it's he needed this start to the season just to get the fans on board. Because, like like you've said yourself, it seems a cheap option. You know, Chris Hutton was linked, Paul Cook, for example, uh, and Dean Holden got the job, and you know, fans weren't a fan of it. Um, no. So you know, get, having this start to the season certainly gets them off his back yeah well for from the Sheffield Wednesday point of view it wasn't a particularly great performance from them they're seemingly lacking a real bite going forward we were saying before how they desperately need a striker because Jordan Rhodes is still the only striker at the club the only out and out striker at the club and it's it's looking like it's really having an effect on the team isn't it because they were fairly uh, fairly toothless in this game. Bournemouth 1, Norwich 0. Arnott Danjuma with the goal. He looks a real player, doesn't he, Justin? Yeah, I saw a goal he scored against West Ham in pre-season where he, you know, he brings it inside and he's, it's a lovely finish pass. I think it was Fabianski in goal. I think Bournemouth ended up winning that, that, that friendly. Is that but the one looked... where he, he went past about five players as yeah. well? Yeah, and yeah, it's a sort of dribbling ability. You know that just gets you off your seat, and unfortunately, there's no way to get off the seats at the moment. But he's he's a he's a, he's a, he's a, he's a player. He's a player that excites you when he when he gets a ball and starts to ruin it defenders. Um, it just it, you just hope it happens consistently because Bournemouth need that spark. Having lost Fraser, for example, they need that wide player who can create. Mm, definitely, Norwich perspective: <clears throat> one loss, one draw, one win. It's um, not sparkling for them from this game. They weren't particularly threatening, really, were they? They've been a little bit lacklustre going forward over the last couple of games. Obviously, Huddersfield on the opening day didn't well, didn't score a bag full. Um, Preston, they were they were losing until the last 10 minutes, I think. And obviously, today, no, no goal. So there's certainly work to be done for Norwich. Um, and I think Farkas, you know, this start's going to... Give them a bit of a kick up the arse, but they had a slow start when um, when they got promoted a couple of seasons yeah, ago. So you, you can't you can't sort of throw, throw the bucket at them just yet. But you know, they, they do they do need to improve just to justify my expectation of them finishing the top two, for example. And the expectation of quite a few other people as well. Yeah. The thing is, they've still got Emi Brendia on the books, haven't they? And if he doesn't get sold in a couple of weeks' time, then he might end up playing again. And at this level, he is a top talent to have, isn't he? Uh, Reading continued their 100% start with a 2-1 win over Cardiff. Quite an even game. Cardiff were perhaps the better side, actually. But uh, no one can stop Reading at the moment. Not even a pretty decent Cardiff team, Justin. Well, I, I was quite surprised again at the result. And I think, you know, seeing away teams beat teams who are you know, stereotypically really good at home isn't necessarily a surprise, especially when there's no fans in the ground. But I think the thing that let Cardiff down, for example, is the poor defending on the goals. They were they were very avoidable from their perspective, but 
Reading have shut them out. Michael Morrison was a beast. You know, he won eight aerial duels against a side that just pumps balls into the box. You know, he's, he's a perfect player for this sort of game. Um, I think every team needs a Michael Morrison against Cardiff. Uh, and obviously he, he topped it off with a goal as well um, and certainly they'll be buzzing with the start because we had them quite far down in the league and certainly you know if they keep Jao fit they could they could be high, well, high, up, the, high up the table this season mm. He's been different class hasn't he in these first few games Lucas Jao It's mm. worth pointing out Reading won as well without John Swift and he's the one who really makes them tick so it makes the results even yeah. more impressive uh, I'm not sure how long this good run of form will last I will be honest. I am expecting it to end fairly soon because they have perhaps been a bit fortunate in the last couple of games because they've not created a mass amount of chances. But from the Cardiff perspective, it's a disappointing result. They didn't actually play too badly, but I think they desperately, A, need Lee Tomlin back fit and Mm -hmm. B, some new signings. I think they need a winger badly. And I said this at the start of the season, they brought in Shea Ojo, but they could really do with another one. Do you agree? Well, obviously losing Mendes Lang um, so close to the well, uh, a few weeks back, you know they're they're a wide player down now, and obviously you'd expect them to replace uh, replace him because they need that strength and depth in those areas because they're a team that likes to get crosses into the box. So having a having a wide player that is an extra in there is certainly going to be helpful. But you know what we've seen from Cardiff so far is. You know, a few defensive errors and, and lack of concentration has really let them down in these first three games, Forest aside. Mm. I don't really understand why they're playing with inside forwards because what they're doing is they've got Hoyler on one wing and then Ojo on the other wing and they're playing with the wrong foot for that wing, if you know what I mean. It's, so, it's overloading the wide area, Ryan. Get but, the fullbacks. But when you've, got, in. when you've got a big beast like Kiefer Moore in the box you want to put, <laughs> put in as many crosses as you, as possible well I, I'm not a manager am I so uh, Millwall and Brentford played out a one all draw the headline from this game was Ivan Tony getting his first goal in a Brentford shirt be interesting to see if he kicks on from there the other notable thing in this game was side Ben Rama came on as a sub Justin could he start playing again now well well he did start playing again because he came on as a sub but is he going to play more regularly is what I mean yeah probably he's a good player <laughs> I, I, I bloody hope so because if he does then oh, having players like Ben Rahm in this league just gets me so excited uh, there were two 1-1s well the Birmingham Rotherham game there were two penalties right at the end of the game and that finished okay. 1-0 and then uh, QPR Middlesbrough was also 1-0 although you could easily argue QPR deserved the win in that one and then finally Barnsley Coventry finished 0-0 as I question whether the Struber train has actually broken down however it was their first point of the season and they probably edged the game. So it's something to build upon, isn't it? Right. Now it's time, Justin, for Who Knows Wins. This is a new part of the show because we've started a little competition where you can win some money by showing off your championship knowledge and getting the correct result from games in the league. So if you download an app called Who Knows Wins and then join our weekly league every Saturday, you could be in with a chance of winning. All you've got to do is guess the most correct results from six championship games and whoever gets the most right wins the pot it's two pounds to enter that's it just a couple of quid and then the more people who enter the bigger the prize so get your mates involved as well and you could be winning some serious cash from just a couple of quid we're both in there already so make sure you join us the games you've got to the side on this week are blackburn cardiff justin are you gone with blackburn I've got I've gone Cardiff. That's very interesting. Forest Bristol City. Who you gone with <laughs> Bristol City? Yeah, I think everyone's going to go <laughs> Bristol City, aren't they? Reading Watford. I've gone with Reading. I think I've gone draw. Mm. Wednesday QPR. Uh, I've gone draw with this one. I've gone Wednesday. I found that one very tricky to predict. Swansea Millwall. Swansea. I've gone Swansea Stoke Birmingham. Draw. I've gone Stoke. So make sure you join in and tell us what you think the results from those games will be. And we'll tweet a link as well so you can join in. That's Who Knows Wins. Make sure you download the app now. Right, now it's time for this. Right, so we'll start off with plans to let fans back into sports stadiums have been postponed as part of the latest coronavirus restrictions. EFL chairman Rick Parry has called the decision bizarre because of how people are allowed in pubs but not into sports stadiums. Justin, I don't want to get too political, <laughs> but this makes no sense whatsoever. No. I'm sorry. It makes no sense. I was in a pub yesterday, right? 
and it was packed. Everyone was social distancing. It was very well done there. But it made no sense that everyone was allowed to be in there. But a thousand people are not allowed to be spread out across a 30,000 seater stadium. It makes no sense whatsoever. And I don't know why it's happening. There's been plenty of inconsistencies with the whole restrictions. I think everyone can admit that. But this is the most bizarre. It makes no sense to me whatsoever. None of it has, has made sense, has it, how it's been handled. Um, but I know, just another uh, one to throw in the ring there, you know, I can play football on Sunday morning competitively, but, you know, I can't sit in an open-air stadium spread out nicely along, you know, a 30,000-seat stadium. It doesn't make any sense, and it is, no. it, is frustrating. Uh, it is frustrating. But, you know, how many politicians have got season tickets, for example? Probably not many. Yeah, exactly. If we're, if we're being blunt, it's stupid. It yeah. is so stupid. Yeah. I, I remember I saw a few weeks ago there was a Dulwich Hamlet game and there were loads of people there. I, I, if I had to guess it, I'd say about 500. So how could 500 people go to a non-league game, which is a smaller area as well, mm-hmm. but they're not allowed to go to a championship game? And the worst thing <clears> about <throat> it is as well, clubs are really being affected by this. The championship, championship clubs will be affected as well. Don't get me wrong. It's, yeah, it's going to affect scary. League One and League Two clubs mm-hmm. more. But championship clubs will be affected. And they're just being left to fight for themselves. It's it's stupid. It's I, so stupid. I, I was going to say, I imagine a, a, potentially a bailout because football is going to need it. And the entertainment industry overall is going to need it as well. Because Well, they've been saying the- that apparently football's just got to deal with it themselves. No. It's... It's ridiculous. Um, reports are linking Barnsley manager Gerhard Struber with a move to MLS side New York Red Bulls. The Struber train going overseas. We don't want to see that, do we? We want to see what he can do with Barnsley. Um, Swansea coach Alan Tate has been charged by the FA over his clash with Birmingham midfielder John Terrell during the game last week. Not really a surprise. No. As far as I'm aware, choke slamming is not allowed in the game anymore. Mm. Um, and finally, a rat has been given a medal for bravery after a career sniffing out landmines. Magawar has been honoured by the PDSA for discovering 39 of them in Cambodia. So well done to Magawar. Uh, I'm overawed with that. It's about time, if you ask me. Mm. I, I've been saying for ages, <clears throat> where is, why isn't he getting recognised for the fantastic work he's been doing? But well done, Magawar. I'm so proud of you. Let's do some transfer news, Justin. Not that much going on, even though we are coming off to the end of the uh, transfer window now. Uh, Forrest have signed Aberdeen defender Scott McKenna and Bournemouth midfielder Harry Arter. I tell you what, Scott McKenna, I'm a massive fan of that signing because I think he's a quality player. Didn't have a great game on Friday, but Mm. not many Forrest players did. Um, But I I think he could be a really quality player because he's he's massive. He is a tank and he's quality on the ball as well. Speaking of impressive signings, former Athletic Bilbao and Spain international Mikel San Jose has gone to Birmingham. Now, it wasn't too long ago that he was in the Spain squad Mm. and he's now turning up at St. Andrews, which, I mean, fair play. It's It's got to be said. It's very tidy, Sandy, but something must have gone wrong in his career. I, I, I haven't been following it that well, but the fact that he's gone from Spain international to playing in the championship, and that, that's, that's, I don't mean any disrespect to Birmingham with that, but something must have gone wrong for him well, to have uh, made that step. It worked out for Pablo Hernandez, so... Yeah, true, true, very true. Uh, Jordan Ibe has re-signed for Derby after leaving Bournemouth on a free. They've also brought in former Liverpool youngster Bobby Duncan. Jordan Ibe, you a fan of that? I am, but... I think Derby fans have just got to curb their enthusiasm a little bit. I don't think he's played a game in. Uh, he's not. He's not played a game since um, April 2019, uh, which is <laughs> 18 months ago. So, yeah, just curb your enthusiasm. Let him settle, and um, hopefully, he can regain some of his form. But a good signing, I think, on a free. Justin, I could not put it better myself. The amount of Derby fans <laughs> I've seen losing their minds at the signing of Jordan Ibe when he's someone who's played what two games last season. Yeah. I, I think everyone just needs to calm down a bit. He's going to take weeks to get back to full fitness said, anyway. Yeah, he's not started since April 2019. That's what it was. Right, OK. Uh, Brentford have got Amion forward Saman Godos on loan. They have the option to make that move permanent. And Reading have brought in Everton defender Lewis Gibson on loan. Mm. Right, let's do some polls, Justin. So at the start of the show, we asked you three questions. The first one was, when do you think we'll see fans back at games? Uh, this year, next year or 2022? 
76% said next year, 8% said this year, and 16% said 2022. I saw someone on Twitter, right? Because I posted a very emotional video of uh, fans (laughs) chanting and what have you. Um, And someone said, I, not me, someone said, I don't think we'll see this in grounds again until for another five years. And I was like, well, I'm not sure that's the case, but uh, we'll wait and see. Um, Speaking of which, I was watching the Spurs documentary Mm. and they were at the start of the coronavirus pandemic and everyone there was saying, oh, I don't think we'll be playing in games again until May. And everyone was like, May? (laughs) May? What? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Little did they know. (laughs) Uh, Which of these sides is most likely to finish in the playoffs this season? Blackburn, Reading or Swansea? What would you go with? I'd I'd edge towards Blackburn because of how they started and their attack is ridiculous. Mm, 37% agree with you. 42% said Swansea and 21% said Reading. And is Bounty the worst chocolate bar ever created? Right. Just before you answer that, I asked you to put this in specifically and Mm -hmm. you've manufactured that question (laughs) <laughs> in your own way I'm well, not what were you expecting me how are you expecting me to work I was, I was expecting something more balanced because Bounty is a good chocolate bar and it's severely underrated by it gets a bad rap from the celebrations community and I'm not I'm not I'm not a fan of it if I'm being honest I'm not a fan of Bounties I think they are awful I've never I, I've I've had bounties before by mistake and it's, <laughs> and it's instantly the worst thing that has ever happened to me um, 61% say bounty is the worst chocolate bar ever well no that, are you offended void. now no, I'm not offended that's void, <laughs> void. The, the question void. the question the question was manufactured in a way to make it seem bad so that's, but they are bad no they're not <laughs> no one Sorry. enjoys bounties yeah, apart no, from you you, you make, are actually Ryan, the only person angry. I know who enjoys <laughs> bounties <laughs> Right, now it's time for this. Hi, Simon Grayson here. So, this game is called Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight. We're joined once again by Ian Robertson from We Are Luton Town and Mike Duffy from the Watford podcast Voices of the Vic. Chaps, are you willing to work together to try and conquer Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight? (laughs) Give it a go, I'm sure. I love your confidence. Uh, so I'm going to ask the boys here to name eight of a certain subject. And they've got to work together to name all eight. So, for example, if I were to say, name the eight clubs Patrick Bamford has played for, like it was last week. And Justin were to say Leeds, that's one down. And Ian were to say Middlesbrough, that's another down. But if Mike were to say Motherwell, then he'd be out. So what you need to do, chaps, is give me all eight answers without all of you being Im- eliminated. Is that clear? Yeah. Yep. Good stuff. Now... When I think of Luton and Watford, I think two places very close to London that aren't actually in London. So not including Luton and Watford, can you name me the eight Premier League and EFL clubs that are nearest to London without actually being in London? Okay. Yep. It's based on distance from Big Ben, which as an ignorant person from the Midlands, I assume is in the centre of London. (laughs) Um, So we'll, uh, we'll start off with Justin. Justin, can you name me a club that's near to London, but not actually in London? This this could potentially be horrendous. Um, it's a Reading. good test of your geography. Reading yeah, okay. is there. Reading Brilliant. is fifth furthest away. That's 36 miles. Uh, for reference, by the way, Watford is 15 miles and Luton is 29 miles. Uh, so Reading is out of the way. Mike, who are you going with next? Uh, I'm going to go with Stevenage because I think they're actually closer to us than Luton are. Stevenage is correct. That is joint nearest at 26 miles. Ian, can you name another one for me, please? Peterborough. Peterborough is not on there. No, that's... um, I don't know how far it is. I didn't write that bit down. Uh, But but it's not in the top eight. Uh, So Ian is out. That means it's down to Justin and Mike. Justin, can you name me another club, please? So it's Championship and EFL. It's Premier League and EFL. Uh, Crystal Palace. Crystal Palace is in London, Justin. Yeah, it's a suburb or something. (laughs) Uh, Croydon. No, no, Justin's out then. That means it's all down to Mike (laughs) to get six of the the eight answers left. Um, Mike, can you name me a club that's near to London but not actually in London? See, I'm going to shoot myself in the foot a bit here. Um, I'm going to go with Leighton Orient. 
Lated Orient is also in London. Oh, that that's means... a worse shout than mine. Sorry. Right, I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, chaps. We're playing this again. We're downed at this, somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> this was fairly disastrous. I thought um, you'd do a bit better than this. <laughs> so um, you got two answers out of eight. <laughs> Boys, how do you feel after that? Embarrassed. <laughs> well, um, I don't really well, know what to say after that. The, do you want the correct answers? The yeah, um, Crawley was nearest, oh, and then Gillingham, Wickham, uh, Southend, MK Dons, and Brighton. I was oh, yeah, thinking yeah. MK Dons. I thought that was too north. Yeah, mm. I, I thought Brighton was too south as well. <laughs> I mean, for Ian and Mike, all you had to do was name places that are near to you, but <laughs> still, you failed. So, um, yeah, yeah th- that's disappointing. But, I mean... You, you tried, chaps, and the lesson here is never try. <laughs> well, this has been the Second Tier Podcast. Uh, after that fairly disappointing <laughs> end, uh, we've come to the end of the show. Ian from We Are Luton Town, thank you for joining us today. Not a problem. Mike Duffy from Voices of the Vic, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me on. Oh, it's, it's, it's been a pleasure as always. I'm Ryan Dilks. I'm Justin Peach. Thank you for listening. Thank you.